morning, everybody. Hello. Hey, I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And it's AV testing time again. What number are we, Brent? 37. Happy 37. We should have met I, in building yeah, 37. Yeah, I wish it was a happy 37. You're not happy? <laughs> I am happy. It's just happy 46. Oh. Oh, okay. You're younger than I am. So you know what else I'm happy about? What are you happy about? I'm happy that the three still listen and the three are on Twitter. And while we were talking here, I saw that uh, Percy. Percy! Percy tweeted us. Hey, Percy, how's it going? Yep, they didn't answer. I wonder if if he's listening in the car, if he actually answered. Says, hey, hey, guys, how's it going? (laughs) So Percy, um, he had a question. Not not a mailbag question. (laughs) Just a, hey, guys, question. All right, then. He said, any chance we will see a one of the three Slack chat room? I can create one, but want to see if you two are okay with it. Oh, any chance? So it's a data science question. Oh. <laughs> well, let's let's draw some diagrams on the board. This the, the universe of of possibilities here might take up the whole podcast and since it's a podcast on a video cast, maybe we should address it a different way. Anyway, what's his question? I just read you his question. Yeah, I was busily trying to be funny. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Any chance that we'll have a, a Slack chat room? Well, it says, but it says I can create one, I being Percy, but which means there's a good chance there can be a Slack chat room. A very good chance. Yes. Pending his skills. He doesn't say I will create one or I am. It says it's a can. I'm going to guess that's a, a high probability. It seems like it. It also seems like, unlike me, it seems like he has. High confidence in his ability to create one, yeah. <laughs> whereas, uh, to my knowledge, I have never either explicitly or accidentally gone to the Slack website, so I okay. don't... <laughs> I use Slack, so I'm going to reply. Okay. Percy, fine with us, as long as we don't have to commit to anything. Uh, hashtag live on AB testing. There you go. Okay. If I know how to send the tweet, there we go. The tweet is out to the world. We have our typical uh, agenda on the whiteboard, this time in supplied entirely by Brent. And bum, bum, bum. And if it's possible, even less prep than normal. So Brent has has all kinds of ideas and prepped and a notepad prepped. Prep it's like primping and prepping at the same time. Brent has prepped. It looks great today. Um, has a little bit of the mad scientist hair going on. But he also has a notepad full of stuff. And uh, take it away, Brent. Yes. So uh, today I would say the the theme for the podcast is – What theme? Yes. All about one of our uh, listeners, one of the three, Patrick Prill, also on Twitter as Test Pappy. All right. Are we? We're, he's a nice guy. You're not going to make fun of him, are you? We might. I mean, it's, uh, well, it's part of, yeah. yeah, I guess. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Are you asking for the chance on that one? No, no. <laughs> um, Shut up with your math. <laughs> um, so very recently, uh, uh, it feels like it was about a month ago. Um, I have no concept of the passing of time, but yeah, it sounds great. So um, – Pratik did a presentation at. Um, did you call him Pratrick? I might have. Okay, See, he's just already checking. starting making fun of him. <laughs> um, 
It's it's combining his first and last names together. All right, whatever. Yeah, uh, Patrick did a presentation that's posted up on the, min- the so it was a test Ministry bash. of Testing the Dojo of yeah Test Bash. Yeah, what's the name of the website? A Ministry of Testing. Yes, that one. Um, and we get, com. we got oh, we were made aware of it from uh, another listener, uh, Vernon, who. Uh, Pointed out that Patrick did a shout out. So thanks for the shout out, uh, Patrick. Um, so I watched the whole presentation, and I think I think you would. I know I know Alan hasn't watched it yet. Um, Sorry, Patrick. It's it's on my list though. But I think the presentation was was a very interesting theme, and it was uh, essentially on the theme of uh, testers using ignorance as a tool that ignorance is actually critical in the knowledge working uh, arena um the is this similar to ignorance in the way philip armor talks about ignorance as a it is knowledge, exactly that knowledge acquisition framework? actually there was so there was there was um it's funny that you brought that up because so um he presented the dikw pyramid that we've talked about on the, the podcast, and that's actually where he shouted out. We talked about that? We did. All right. I'll trust you. <laughs> Both me and Patrick said we did, okay. and you're I'm, old and forget I, I, stuff. I'm yeah. outnumbered. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> and he called out. Uh, he, he attributed um, the – the what we classified or, or attribute to Philip Amor, he attributed to Donald Rumsfeld because Rumsfeld has a similar quote, and that actually bugged me so much I went and looked up the dates. Um, Amor came out with 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 his orders of ignorance and ACM in two thousand, and Rumsfeld came out with his uh, the unknown known speech yeah. um, at a press conference in February two thousand and two. So Amor wins. Boom! Isn't it armor? I don't know. I anyway, thought he has a U in it, so I'm I'm more Philip Armour. Yeah, I, yeah. Five four, five orders of ignorance win. Rumsfeld's a copycat. <laughs> Both of them. Um. So the for those who care, go look up Rumsfeld on Wikipedia. Okay, Rumsfeld. But let me just recap. Just but for, it's actually older, way older than both of these guys. It come, the, what's attributed is to a poem called "Heaven and Earth" or something along those lines. So let me uh, let me just interject. Go interject. because that's what we do on A/B testing. So for those of the three that just tuning in for the first time and are going, "WTF are they talking about?" Uh, the Five Orders of Ignorance, uh, Philip Armour in an ACM paper talked about the Five Orders as, as a knowledge acquisition framework. And starts off with, you know what you know. I know how to speak English, um, despite the, uh, the uh, thoughts of many A-B testing listeners. Um, I, know I, I know I don't know how to speak Chinese, but I do, I do know of many ways that I could discover how to learn that. I could, I could take classes online i could you know i could go to a class i could be able to move to china and immerse myself there are multiple ways i know how to learn that i know it's i know that i don't know it and then i don't know what i don't know and i have no i cannot by definition give you an example of that but that's how we learn and discover and then the next level up is really important it's i don't have a suitable means to discover what i don't know i don't know 
meaning. That, that could be community. That could be the internet. But you have to have some methods for discovering those things that you don't know you don't know. And the way knowledge acquisition works is that you you have those means to discover what you don't know you don't know. By, by learning that, it becomes something you know you don't know, and you can choose to make that something you know by studying or reading or learning about it. So that's how knowledge is acquired. And the fifth order, of course, is that you don't know the five orders of ignorance. Because you so, so you don't even understand how knowledge acquisition works. An interlude over. That's actually the the best interpretation of the fifth order that I've ever heard. I I love I if Philip that, Armour but, was here right now I would hug him because I. But the fifth order always bugged me. It, 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 it just, you, you could see it as very tongue in cheek. Yeah, I just sort of. Hey, and the fifth, the one way to interpret is, and you don't know how awesome this list is. No, it, it's it's really multi-layered. It's very tongue-in-cheek yep. and can be kind of funny at first glance, but it's really about <coughs> under. Like I know how knowledge acquisition works. I get how all, all this works, and so now I can learn and grow and have the growth mindset. Blah blah blah. So actually, one of the things that, given your interpretation of the fifth order. It very well connects to sort of the theme uh, that Patrick had for his whole deck. He's basically calling out, hey, there's a lot of testers that I'm aware of. He doesn't call it out. He's very polite and and diplomatic and and funny. Um, But when you break through that crust, he's basically essentially calling out that there's a lot of testers who are in the fifth order. That They don't get it. They don't get it. It's essentially um, – whereas he he is making a statement of as soon as he started to think about things, um, instead of just doing, he realized how much knowledge he was lacking. Man, he even has a great slide where it says the, the – right? The more you learn, then – the the wider the surface area of those things that you know you don't know become, so the more you learn, the more you know what you don't know. Yeah, I yes, I think I told this story before. How when I first uh, I had been a tester for about five years, I was kind of I think I was in in that world. I'd been a tester for three, four years, maybe maybe five, but probably a little less than that. And I decided, you know what, I like this. I want to learn more about this. So I read a book about testing. I forget which one. Uh, I, forget I, which one I, I forget which one I read first. And I read a, and I thought, well, okay, now I know everything about testing. This is awesome. So I, I got it figured out. But then I read another book, and then I saw both parallels, contradictions, new ideas. And I thought, well, okay, this is pretty good. Now I know a lot about testing. This is, I have other ideas. So now I'm, I'm more educated. And then I read a third book, and it was after the third book where I realized I didn't know crap about testing. Because it just the, – the, the combination of the three sort of opened the world to me and said, wow, this whole thing is it's a little bit of the iceberg below the water thing. It's, it's a bit, bit bigger. It's as much bigger than I thought it was. Yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah, I, I keep – No, and it's, and it's interesting, right? Cause poor the, Patrick. Thanks for going to talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's a, it's an inspired uh, by Patrick. I'm sure he'll accept that. Um, All right. Now I have a similar story, right? Uh, I think I'll leave out. I know what was my first book, and I'm going to leave out both the book and the author um, to to protect the innocent. 
because um, I then later on, when I first got my first management gig, I would always order this book for any of my new hires. And I would say, okay, uh, in two weeks, I want you to have read this book, and we're going to have a one-on-one, okay? And they would read the book, and they would come back, much like how you expressed it. Awesome! Now I know everything about testing, right? Yeah, and just for the record, this was not how we test software at Microsoft. So just he's not protecting me, right? No, 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 no. It wasn't okay. your book. All right. I, just, just for the three. Your right, book, go on. Your book wasn't even a glimmer in your I eye I when just, this happened. I just wanted to be clear for those not aware with the A-B testing timeline. So they would come back two weeks later and they go, oh, man, that book was awesome. I know everything about testing. I'm raring to go. And then I would say, great. Now... I want you to reread the book, and in two weeks, I want you to come back to me and tell me every place where the book is wrong. So, great, you're a test, you're a, you know everything about yeah. testing? Test this book. <laughs> and it occurs to me, based, even based off of Patrick's theme, right, one of the things, and they would come back and they go, this doesn't seem like it's right, and this doesn't seem like it's right, and this doesn't seem like it's right. And I was super happy with the result, but it occurs to me now, freaking 20 years later, that a big possibility is because I accidentally created a process where my testers, instead of just being formulaic monkeys that go through what everyone's supposed to do, um, I started them off on the path of critical thinking. So yeah, I was going to say, instead of having them read this big, thick book on testing software twice, how about have them read one thin book on critical thinking? Just cut, just cut to the chase there, Brett. Uh, because I think critical thinking for much of these guys, are, are new kids out of school, is too – Still too much of an abstract. It, I, I I believe you're right. I've thought about this, and I've uh, yeah, I, I I thought even in those in those few seconds, and and you're yeah. right. You and I think critical thinking is a difficult thing. It's you, the books on the subject are helpful and interesting if you understand what critical thinking is, but as an introduction, you need some sort of hands on. In my experience, a little bit of hands on to. Uh, get the concepts. Even then, like even my exercise, right? It, it's still kind of theoretical, yeah. right? But it's, I don't know, applied theoretical? All right. It, we're, we're going somewhere <laughs> with this. All right. Anyway. It's okay. We're only 15 minutes in. <laughs> um, <coughs> the fact we got past the intro by now is a miracle. Hey, yeah, we're way ahead of our, our latest patterns. <laughs> um, all right. Now, but there was another slide on on Patrick's deck that I'm setting up as sort of the theme for the rest of our conversation today. And so, again, the theme of the whole deck was ignorance and knowledge. And he got to this one slide where he lists off uh, about five or six different questions. Um, I have copied those questions uh, here and then I've added them and I've reordered them. Um, and the reason why I've done that is because as he was going through the slide, 
he was expressing things that we've talked about uh, numerous t- numerous times, um, where language is important. Um, having a common uh, taxonomy within a team is important, uh, right? We've talked about the curse of um, overloaded terminology. Um, but then he stated he didn't know what any of these things were, which leads the which led sort of his audience participants to to view it as these are sort of philosophical questions. And some of those things I looked at them like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't agree. I don't think these are entirely philosophical. Although several of the ones we have taken on the podcast philosophical approach, but I'm like, I think we can do better than that. I think we can add precision. I think we can can look at it from a scientific point of view. All right. So you're saying just make sure I understand where you're coming from because sorry again, Patrick, I haven't viewed the video, but in the in the concept of, of learning what you don't know, you don't know. He's looked right. he's looked at like some number of terms from the software and software testing world and said, when I really think about it, although I use I may even use these words or phrases, I don't know what they really mean. Uh, soup to nuts. Right. Okay. So <clears throat> I think based on, on what I've just done, I want to do two things. Uh, number one, I'll ask you a question. And then I'd like to hear your opinion on can this only be approached from, say, a philosophical point of view? Or can we do better? And if we can do better, what would be your best definition? And, right. and then – and here, the as if we if we what's the opposite of abstract specific? If the more specific we can get, I think the better the answer is. All right. Anyway, so I've reordered his his questions because I I think there's a log to me. I think there's a logical order. Um, but the gotcha. very I'm first re- one, I'm, I'm ready to be put on the spot. Yes. Thanks for the prep time, Brent. And then it, when you answer, I'll of course tell you if you're right or wrong. Uh, and then <laughs> come back with my own point of view. <laughs> Alan, you ignorant. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the first question, um, what is quality? Quality is a term that people love to define. Yes. <laughs> There's a philosophical answer. Uh, <laughs> Philip Crosby, quality is free. Um, is it only – can it only be addressed philosophically? Uh, that's the good thing. So quality – let me do both sides. Quality can be addressed philosophically because quality can mean different things to different people. Right. Um, so it's uh, – quality is – so my definition of quality – and then I want to get into how you can actually be a little bit more scientific about it. But it's how well the customer or user of a thing views it as useful, helpful – I'll say useful and helpful. Yeah. The- I'm trying to abstract it away from just software. Talk about quality in general. Right. And when I think about a quality motorcycle, um, it feels good. It makes me feel good to use it. It's easy for me to uh, operate. Um, I know what it can do and can't do, and I'm happy with that, and I get joy out of using it. I could say the same thing about a table or a pencil or a piece of software. I it 
as you were talking, you reminded me. I actually once wrote a blog on this, um, and I, I'm vaguely recalling what I babbled about. But um, I do think quality is, for the most part, sort of a it it, it to address it in the abstract. You have to kind of address it in the philosophical level because I do think quality is individualized, right? It's one of those things where no, there's it's it's highly personal, it's highly customized, it's it's based on the individual, right? Right. I can tell you some things it's not, and I believe these are in your in your blog post. It's quality does not mean bug free. No, we you I think it was in the same post you posed the question of if you have two pieces of software. One is has some no, a lot of known bugs, but it's heavily used by thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. And the other one is bug-free, but used by 10 people. Which one has higher quality? And if, even if you go back to my abstract definition of it's fun to use, you know, I can get stuff done with it, and it does what I want it to do, um, it's the one being used by more people. It's a higher quality product in that definition. It. Yeah, so it's, it's it's it seems a little counterintuitive. You go, but 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 it has bugs. No, well, no. So the thing is, right? So we know how to determine which has higher quality, but that's not quite the same they, thing as what is quality, right? Um, um, and I remember it. It was some of the things that I put in there. It was um, the context. Its ability to solve a problem in that context, like uh, uh, there was another post where I talk about uh, uh, it, toilets. <laughs> oh, great! Yeah, where where it's essentially <clears throat> um, does it solve the problem in the context in which we're expecting to solve that problem? Without the absence of, with the absence of unexpected consequences, right? It's actually a chair uh, was where I would go with. Like for example, if I offered you a chair that didn't have a seat, you would generally view the quality of that as very low. Why? Because you expect to be able to sit in the yeah. chair and it doesn't have a seat, <laughs> right? So it it can't serve its basic purpose. Um, but if I gave you a different chair and gave you a seat, but instead took the front right leg and cut off three inches off of it, right? You can now sit on it, and if you lean back, you're good. But if you lean forward, you run the risk of falling on the floor, right? So there's um, a, a, a better chair wouldn't have the quality or that the characteristic of the, uh, these chair crashes, if you will. Then uh, another one could be bells and whistles or comfort, right? Um, how delightful is the experience? If I gave you sort of the um, the old metal chair that grandma would offer you at Thanksgiving when you had to sit at the kids' table, or the nice, plush, uh, rich Corinthian leather chair um, – which one are you going to prefer? Well, the one you can easily fall asleep in, right, uh, is, is the last one. And then the, the, the very I'm, – I'm very quickly reverse engineering the blog. The very last one is the context, right? A toilet is, in fact, another version of a chair. 
But it's a special. It's a specialized. It's chair. a specialized chair. But if I take that, if I take a fully functional toilet, right, and I put it in the middle of a kitchen, right, the the quality of that toilet just immediately went down. Right. So your quality is contextual. Yes, but now if I take that that toilet kitchen combo and I move that whole thing to a village in Africa, the quality just went up again. All right. So uh, right. what it, you're saying is quality is largely philosophical. It is. Okay. <laughs> but it's largely philosophical, but we can decompose it into, into smaller parts and, and – well, I, th- I think what's important as going, bringing back to the tester point of view is when you look at quality or evaluating quality, or trying to find out what quality is, it's what it means for your product and your target customer. Yes. So you need to it's, so you need to contextualize. It's not just bugs. It's not just you know yeah, no. requirements or fitness for use or any of other things. No, even right if I guess you go back to the Weinberg quote, which you've it, danced around but it's quality is value to some person it is and just thinking yeah we can we can decompose that abstract statement into to other things all right are we going to go this deep on all of them because we'll never make it <laughs> all right do they get harder or easier <clears throat> i think after we get through this one the rest become easier all right so what is a test case oh that's a good one because i was uh, there was a working group at Microsoft a decade ago trying to I, come up with some uh, terms. They're like, we should use these terms across the company. And we couldn't decide. <laughs> and test case was one of them. And I think I even talked about test case in the, uh, in the How We Test Software at Microsoft book. And um, I tried to come up with a meaning that uh, made sense to me and to at least a large number of teams at Microsoft. So the test case is the... Uh, oh, should I call it the test check? Call it oh, the check you... case. The, the check case. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. um, it's a uh, specific. And the reason I, I want to preface is it's a specific action and outcome. So it's it's a it's okay. a it's a it's a thing you want to try and a result you want to verify. Now, here's the question I have for you. So if I have to run, I have a thing like I got to pick an app, Slack, post a message. One test case. Post a message, make sure it posts to, to the second user. There's a test case. I have to run that test case, or that test case needs to be verified on the web client, the desktop client, iOS, Android, etc. What are the are those all test cases too? Why not? And my answer is no, because it's one test case. The test case doesn't change. The, the, uh, the, test case, <laughs> the test case doesn't change. It's post a message, verify that it's posted. When that fans out, I like to call those test points. Yet another new definition because it's the same. Again, it, it's philosophical, but this is the one where the team. I officially po- reject the terminology test point because you just defined equivalence class. No. Yes. The equivalence class, <laughs> you, this test case no. across multiple different browsers. That's an equivalent. As a math major, an equivalence class is I'm going to treat all these values the same, but you're not going to treat all those test cases the same because they because having it work on Windows Phone 
people may not care about. But it has to work on iOS and and, and the web. So if so, the point is, I don't. It doesn't matter. I, I wrote that eight years ago. <laughs> I don't even know if I care anymore. Uh, but you do care. I can tell you care. Your eyes say you care. <laughs> That's why as, this as is long question as your, number two. As long two. as your team has a way of understanding what is a different, you know, run these, you have identical app for your iOS and your Android clients. Fairly identical, although under the hood, they're completely different. Uh, you are not going to write two test cases in whatever your test case management system is for post a, post a message, make sure it can be viewed on iOS. And another one, post a message, make sure it can be viewed on Android. You're going you're gonna to share that one. But as long as your team has a way, uh, maybe Brent won't. As long as your team has a way of understanding what that means, mm-hmm. I don't care if you call them elephants, light switches, kaborgas, or gaboonglas. doesn't matter. How about fuzzy bunny? Fuzzy bunnies. Okay. How many fuzzy bunnies did you run today? <laughs> All right. Um, so that one's, I think... Even there, it's slightly philosophical, but I think it's more shared understanding. It's a, I can get my team I think to have a shared understanding of what a test case is much easier than I can get my team to have a shared understanding of what quality is. Um, I'm going to try to combine the two. So my answer to what – Brent defines a quality case. My answer <laughs> to, to what is a test case – a test case is any time inputs are applied to a program, outputs generated, and a judgment call made. Okay, now it's that judgment call made that winds it back to the definition of quality. So, what I would say it's the same test case, but you're changing the context. Going back to the prior okay. conversation, right. you're changing the context in which that test case would run. Therefore, the judgment call might be different. So the judgment call is the oracle. So you could say your, your definition, if I paraphrase, input plus output plus oracle. Yes. I could get behind that. Awesome. <laughs> the, Why didn't we have this conversation eight years ago before I wrote that stupid book? <laughs> I like I like things input output oracle done right but the, again the oracle isn't a static thing now, the this or- winds it back to the definition of quality and the oracle is the hardest part of testing it is and since you said it's the hardest part of testing now please tell me what is testing <laughs> this is another this one's going to be largely philosophical and and. Maybe philosophical is the wrong word. If I were to ask 10 people what testing was, I'm going to get at least 11 different answers. <laughs> That's true for test harnesses for sure. Oh! <laughs> Don't even go there. That's a whole podcast. Yep. Uh, to me, testing is investigating, evaluating. In fact, I'm going to actually leave it at those two. It's uh, no. Investigating, evaluating, learning. And sometimes, perhaps, judging. But I'm going to leave that one off for now. I actually, I'm going to go with the three. I'm going to. I'm going to disagree. All right, but I because I actually I don't think it's actually sometimes judging. 
I think it's only judging. So if we define a test case as input, output, and the oracle, right, the input and output, um, the inputs in, in, a, in a, a, a testing entity's control, the output isn't, well, what's, but the oracle is why we hire is, testers. But what that leaves out, no, it's not just the oracle. Because often the uh, you may have a defined list of inputs and out, inputs and outputs. Yep. What the oracle does, in addition to evaluating the input and output, it gives you new ideas for inputs and outputs. So that's where the learning is. Um, uh, we're very abstract here. But at the, you see where I'm coming from? I want to try. I try entering in. You know, uh, I, I send a message. I'll stick on the Slack theme. I send a message of of. A hundred character, a hundred characters, and it's fine. I, and it outputs good judgment. Says looks good. Then I think, oh, but what would happen if I could I send a thousand character or a ten thousand character message? Those were those were inspired by the last result that I evaluated. Often testers talk about breaking things or discovering where things fail. So by looking at the output of, uh, by looking at their original judgment call, of their original oracle, from that I as a tester may derive directly or indirectly new test ideas, which are new inputs that I want to give to the program. So learning, I, I can even go as far as learning and judging because uh, evaluating, maybe evaluating is close to judging, but I think learning is a critical part of that. I, no, I agree, and I'm, I'm, I'm changing my definition slightly. Changing my answer. <laughs> Not entirely because I, I still firmly think that the, the, the judging part because uh, so as I go through this, I'm thinking through, right things we've talked about in the past around hey we can have customers do our testing for us, right? My definition of a test case applies to customer usage patterns, mm-hmm. right? The only in- pr- input output oracle for sure, for sure. The, the the only challenge with having customers do it is it's often really hard to figure out what was the judgment made. That's where the data and the telemetry and that stuff comes into place. Whereas hiring testers, you just go talk to Bob down the hall. Hey, what was the judgment call? But testing, I think, is is identifying – this is still too abstract, I think. But maybe we working together can clarify. It's identifying those judgment calls that – the judgments that would put the product at risk. Okay. Right. So there's, there is certainly a, a science, a craft, a, a, an art. I don't think it's a philosophy around, right? It's essentially, um, and maybe I'm framed uh, by, by my coursework. So part of my coursework is this topic that's well-known in business and is risk management. Right. What in, in risk management, you spend a lot of time identifying what exactly are those things that we're uncertain about. And then risk is classified uh, as uncertainty where there is a chance of a negative outcome. And I think th- those words could be cleverly rephrased to define what is testing. I th- that's really what we're doing is we're lo- trying to look for negative 
outcomes, or that's part of it. Most testers are looking for breaking bugs and things like that. So it's a negative outcome thing. Not a lot of testers I know of are focused on how do we make this delightful. They're more focused on how do we subtract pain. Do you have things you want to say? Uh, probably. Um, I like the idea of subtracting pain. <laughs> I forget what I was going to say, honestly. Oh, okay. Um, so where are we closing on what is the definition of oh, I, testing? Oh, I – so I don't know if we're closing on it, but your idea of identifying what the risk is to the product or, the, or to the – we'll just say risk to the product. That is unfortunately, um, maybe not for better or for worse, uh, sort of an advanced testing skill. A lot of testers, as you mentioned, they can identify where the user pain is. But it takes experience to understand the difference between this is a bug. And we've talked just a few times ago, we talked about this with uh, some uh, PMs on our team who, even though their experience is difficult for them to frame, this is a bug versus this is a bug that will automatically, this is a, a risk to product. I'm wondering if, so I agree with you from my history that, that, that you see advanced testers with that sort of knowledge. You can, but I'm wondering if it's, be, if it's because we're not explicit in their training up front on that this is what they're doing, right? Because I think a lot of us have gone through and we've made mistakes and through trial and error have, after we've been here 20 years, ago, yeah, actually that's what it is. And I'm like, you know, but to my knowledge, very few people start their career in this space well, I think it's an experience thing. There are um, one of the CDT things I hear. I don't know if it's CDT or not, but people in that community uh, say is uh, the role of testing is to provide information to the stakeholders and let them make the decisions. Uh, but I think uh, often, especially in my experience, you know, experienced testers do make those decisions. Uh, and that – so I've never been happy with that definition. The the role of is yeah, to provide it, information, right? Because I don't, I'm not built that way. I don't believe that way. I believe we're not just info gatherers. Um, yeah, it, that that definition is, I think, to me, assumes testers are passive. Just, uh, That's low, what bugs low, me about low level, it. Low level passive people, right? Where I think successful testers, uh, depending on your definition of tester, which we can't quite get to, uh, requires much more. Um. Yeah, there's something else to say on this topic, but I have also now forgotten it. All right. Should we move on to a different definition that I can totally screw up (laughs) and be made fun of in the Twitterverse? So what is a tester then? Someone who does that stuff. (laughs) Uh, It depends who you ask, honestly. The answer to that question is I have no idea because – Sometimes I call myself a tester. Sometimes I think, oh, I'm not really a tester anymore. Sometimes people call me a tester. Sometimes people say, oh, you're not really a tester anymore. So what those things tell me is I have no idea what a tester is. A tester is someone who does uh, testing. There's my tautology for the day. Let me, let, me, let me give you a start of a definition and see how you, how you might fill in the blanks. All right. A tester is someone who brings value to the business by doing testing. 
No, see, <laughs> sorry. That's that's tautological, right? But it's it, but it's about doing the activities we talked about. It's about someone who brings value to the business by identifying key risk key risks. By right, someone who brings value to the the business by evaluating and or by judging the product. I, a tester is someone who brings that, value to that, the business that, by that feels flat. It, right, like if we take the the risk, we're brainstorming here. But if we if we take the risk definition that we talked about in the last one, right, it occurred to me that you you brought up my my blog posts around the the bug free multi user thing. Mm-hmm. Right, that sort of loose definition fits well in that model as a test case, right? Because the based on the usage pattern, the even though the 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 bug free code, um, that's not being used, right? There, there's not only uh, zero risk of a failure, but because it's not being used, there's zero risk of value. So maybe actually testing isn't really just purely risk, but it's uh, in in econ, right? There's the risk to return function, right? So the the risk is very low in the bug-free code example, but there's no return. Mm-hmm. So a tester is someone who uses inputs, outputs, and their judgment in order to make decisions around the value of the product to the customer. I think a tester – I think that's close. I think a tester is someone who is keenly focused on the risk-to-return function. And they bring bring value to their – business by um, removing or lowering risk on the high value quality propositions yeah and that answer because as the answer becomes more abstract it also t- tends to fit more but right but I've also added right it, it's not quite as abstract as they do testing it well <laughs> true true and the thing I'm i like to about wind it in terms of not the activity a tester is someone who no, achieves an outcome no, what I, is the outcome yeah I, I like that i like where you're going with that because testing is more than uh input output judgment uh those are very focused granular tasks uh that is a test case so a tester has to perform more than test cases. I hope all the three realize that. Uh, one of the key things testers do – test do, case selection as an example. What test cases? W- what tests do I run? But right. looking at the product as a whole, it's, I, there are testers I know who their job is to run a test case or you know, input, output, judgment, repeat 200 times. Done. I'm a tester. Yes. But that is nowhere near enough. You need to look at – I could uh, – I could – design a hundred test cases for any product right now that would I could run them and they pass and the product would still be crap right because it's about it needs to be about experience a lot of things that aren't uh, well it could be part of test cases but looking at everything as a whole it's the systems thinking part of testing and I would even say further because what I found 
with with test. So now we're talking about test case selection, right? What are the test cases that are going to bring to the that we're going to execute where the judgment would maximize the the value to risk function, right? You running two thousand test cases that uh, essentially add. Those 2,000 test cases add, in essence, a 2% addition to your co-coverage numbers. Right? I don't know that, that the, the, the test that you selected added the right value to, to risk. Right? Um, does that make sense? You're staring at me like you're just waiting for me to stop. No, that. no. My phone started ringing in the background. I don't think the microphones will pick it up. But it'll stop. Okay. What's next? What is integration testing? It's testing integration. Next. <laughs> is that really what you're going to do? No, I'm going to say it's there's is actually a Twitter conversation on this maybe a month ago. Uh to me uh this is another one where as long as your team has the definition, uh you may be okay. This is making sure all the pieces fit together. Um, one definition I used often for integration tests was those are the tests you write to make sure other people don't break you when you're looking at things. So, uh, but that's an arguable definition, but at, at a high level, it's tests that make sure pieces fit together. If you are working on, um, the, I'm working on the message, uh, the, the, the chat box, I own that component in Slack and you own the framework that works that works in, we can both make changes that could break each other. The framework being like the whole, like say you own the web page, but I own the how the controls work together, and I own the chat box. Yep. We can both write tests that make each, write code that make each other look bad. So what we do is we write integration tests that make sure that uh, I may have some tests for the framework that make sure I understand so my assumptions about how that web framework works are understood so I can run those all the time and make sure that any changes you make aren't going to break me and vice versa. Okay. To me, those, those, that's my sort of standard definition of integration testing. But I do realize there it's a, it can mean anything beyond your now, low I'm, level functional testing. I'm going to reject that. And I think you can do better. <laughs> <laughs> so now what I'm going to say, cause you, you did a lot of, I think you got really close to something awesome. Oh, gee, thanks, Brent. Remember what we what we agreed on the definition of a test case: input, output, oracle. Now take that concept, and with that concept firmly in hand, tell me what integration testing is. You tell me, Brent. No, I don't have an answer. <laughs> I could do it, but I want you to do it. <laughs> So integration testing, you said it's it's the tests that you write. So the tests, which means the test cases you write to make sure other people don't break you, right? It's essentially input, output, but now what is the oracle in that situation? Oracle is, did you break me? The, the oracle is essentially, does your component still return the expected results that my component is counting on. Mm -hmm. That's integration testing, I think, in a nutshell. It's the act of applying... um, That's what I thought I said. 
Oh, you said the tests to make sure that people don't break it. You, you didn't tell me what I an integration test is. I, I you did. said why we build them. Whatever. <laughs> what about? Am, am I failing my interview? Do I get hired? No. All right. No. That's that's great. You didn't. You did not fail the interview. Um, you made it very clear that you know what you're talking about, but perhaps yes. we'll need to put you in some communication training. Whatever. <laughs> what is perf testing? Uh, testing performance, of course. All right, then. Uh, How about... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it's weird. It's another overloaded term. I think perf and load and stress all get put into one big bucket, but yep. I'm going to, given your leading questions before, these are the inputs and outputs that let me know that my uh, product is performing, and I'll try to I'll, I'll elaborate to get rid of the tautology as expected. For example, so I I distinctly separate uh, performance from load and stress testing. So performance is I want to know how long actions take in my uh, application over a variety of scenarios. So I want to know how long, and we need a marker search telemetry for that, or in the old days, even a stopwatch. I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Man, do I, I do not miss those days. <laughs> oh, my God. So look at the, what are the ki- – I would identify – I'm talking about what I do, and maybe from that I'll get a, get a definition. I want to identify what are the key uh, actions my product takes – and I want to know how long each of those takes. And I'm going to uh, run various test cases in different contexts, various inputs and outputs. And my judgment is, uh, well, the output is the time. My judgment is, is that time sufficient towards what I think my customers will like? And there are all kinds awesome of... Awesome answer. And, <laughs> I can't tell if he's sarcastic or not. No, no, that was... <laughs> Because I was uh, the no the thing I think is interesting, right? The one thing that I see with a lot of performance testing is they start off exactly what you're you said, which is, hey, is it performing as expected? But then it winds it back to, well, what should we expect? And and um, one one of our colleagues, Steve Rowe, wrote um, a blog I think a year ago where he talks about uh, test has lost its way. Did you read that blog? I did not. <laughs> I did not. Where he talks about what, what has happened is test hasn't has gotten, had gotten trained into um, expected being whatever is in the PM spec. Not necessarily sort of the the customer angle that you just took. Um, performance testing. Another qu- follow up question, which you might have already destroyed. Um, is faster always better? No. Why not? Uh, it only has to be fast enough for the customer. If I have um, – I'm going to go back to my canonical Slack example. If the time I press enter to the time that post appears to you is 
200 milliseconds. That seems almost instant to you and certainly is good enough. Uh, do I want to spend a lot of time optimizing that and go, you know what, I can get this down to 100 milliseconds. The user perception of that improvement is almost none, especially when it's we're, when we're uh, uh, half a world apart. And those numbers are made up. Made, it probably takes longer, but again, you wouldn't notice. So I actually did, did um, uh, uh, some study on this. I'm forgetting the numbers, but there's two numbers that I do remember. There's four things that I did. Um, uh, so humans visually, if it's – they cannot perceive visually – Anything under 100 milliseconds. Um, so we should make everything 100 milliseconds. If everything was on 100 <laughs> milliseconds, it would, as far as we're concerned, yeah, be instantaneous. Uh, there, are, there are studies on this to show what the right numbers are for. But again, if you're dealing with and, a distributed app, it can be longer. But you can, you, it's really easy to over-index on increasing performance in the wrong areas. And the, the other one that I remember was... 400 milliseconds, they can only perceive it if they are looking for it. So if you're, if you're not – if you click it and you're not paying attention to it, anything under 400 seconds is, is um, considered instantaneous. Mm-hmm. But if they're actually paying attention to it, they're singularly focused on it, then they will detect it. And there's another set of criteria around sort of audible clues – um, but I forget all these. Yeah, and there, it's really easy to, like I mentioned before, it's really easy to over, to over index on on speeding things up that don't need to be sped up, um, and it's you really want to focus on the sort of what are the top scenarios. Not, not only can you over opt, over index on trying to optimize something that's already good enough, but you may try and optimize a scenario that as far as customers are concerned, doesn't need to be fast or it's not used very often. You want to, uh, this is beyond the definition, but for, you know, the answer to perf testing is not make everything fast. It's make the parts that matter fast. So you need right. to do investigation and, and understand what, what are the parts that need to be fast and how fast do they need to be? And that is a huge part of actually the performance testing. Performance well, testing is actually very much, uh, you know, input output judgment, but that judgment, uh, that figuring that, that building that Oracle yep. is once again, as I said earlier, Oracle's the hard part. Oracle's the very hard part it requires investigation and learning and, and analysis to figure out. And the Oracle not only is the hard part, but I think it's actually the only thing that's valuable. Mm-hmm. The other part's easy start right. and right. subtract. And then winding, <laughs> winding like, uh, as I've mentioned several times, um, the what's drawn me to data science is I have a huge passion around quality. And it, it now occurs to me as we're talking right now that it's actually a big part of what I'm doing in data science is building better, accurate oracles. And uh, ver- data science versus testing in this case, right? data science, I'm trained to measure that accuracy. How well does it does what I've built fit? The reality, right? Um, all right. W- were there more things on your list? No, we're good. So I think we're out of time, too. We are. Hey, thank you, everyone, especially Patrick and yes, Percy thanks, Patrick. for being part of our. Actually, I'm going to check Twitter real fast to see if uh, Percy replied. Uh, 
Nope, nope. But they didn't. Uh, the the one of the AB testing live or live on AB testing hashtag did not catch on. So possibly, maybe coming to a Slack near you, perhaps might be a new chat room with three people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. I am listening to Brent's phone. I am late. All right. <laughs> See you next time. Bye.